0: Good morning, everybody. We are starting a brand new lesson series this week on the Holy Spirit. Talking about empowered, being empowered. I guess the best place to start with it is just jump right into the text. I want to show you, to get this conversation started, I want to show you a piece of Acts here. Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. It goes this way. It says, It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the interior... Uh, through the upper country, and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? And they said, well, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe on him, and believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. There were, in all, about twelve men. This is an interesting story to me. You see, Paul's on his missionary journey, and he's coming back around, and he's coming up to Ephesus. And he gets invited to a small group. We're familiar with small groups around here, right? How would you like to have the Apostle Paul show up at your small group? That'd be kind of interesting, right? And then what happens is, Paul asks them if they had received the Holy Spirit when they believed. Now, I find it curious, we're not told why he asked them about the Holy Spirit. Why do you think he might have asked them about the Holy Spirit? Any guesses? say it louder see if their hearts were open i got a guess i don't know if i'm right but i'll give you my guess and you can make your own mind up i think he noticed something irregular about them i think he noticed that there was an absence of something there was an absence of the holy spirit now how would you look at a group or your small group or anybody's small group and decide i need to ask if they even know about the holy spirit if he's here Say, Debbie? That's a good question. I saw your lips move, but I couldn't hear you. Okay, again, I'm going to give you what I think happened. I think that Paul noticed that they didn't have any power. I think he noticed there was something irregular. Something irregular about the way that they were thinking, the way that they were talking, or maybe how they were living. There was something in that group that drew attention to this that caused Paul to ask... So where's the Holy Spirit? Something else I want you to understand is, and I guess on your notes, I've got that prompt there. It's They weren't plugged in. They weren't empowered. Something else I get from this passage is, these guys were disciples. They were disciples. Luke says plainly, they were disciples. There were 12 of them. And yet they weren't plugged into the Holy Spirit, which tells me that you can be a disciple and not be plugged in. You can lack the power. See, now, the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, and I'm not going to go too deeply into this today, but there's the indwelling of the the Holy Spirit we're told about that we receive when we become baptized, when we experience conversion, whenever we are transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the Son, the Holy Spirit indwells inside of us. But that's not all that He does. He empowers us. But you can be a disciple and have the indwelling and not have his power. In the first century, when we read about the church in the first century, it was a little different then, wasn't it? We see all kinds of power in that church. Power to change the world, to turn it upside down. And yet sometimes today it seems like we might not be plugged in in exactly the same way. So, how many of you guys are involved in a small group? Several of you. Those of you that don't put your hands up, I hope someday soon, you will put your hands up. I've been a Christian now for about 40 years, and what I can tell you is being involved in a small group made all the difference in the world in my ability to plug in. Not just into people, into the group, or into a church, but to actually access some of this power of the Spirit that we're talking about. Without somebody that you're connected to, where you can talk. See, if Sunday morning is all you're getting... You know, I'm talking to a lot of people that are in a lot of different places. And so I have to talk kind of generally. But in a small group, you get to talk specifically and personally. So if you're not in a small group, let me encourage you to get involved with one. It's not that scary. It's really good. But for those of you that are in a small group, like this one in Ephesus, if Paul showed up at your group, would he be likely to ask the same question? Would he look at you and wonder... Where's the Holy Spirit? What about in this church? What if Paul showed up here this morning? Would he ask the same question? Would he wonder where the Holy Spirit is? You can be a disciple and not be plugged in. See, now the guys in Ephesus were told, Luke tells us that, whenever Paul asked that question, he said, they said, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So let's start there. How many of you guys have heard that there is a Holy Spirit? Fantastic. If your hand didn't go up, there's a Holy Spirit. So now you can't be said that you haven't heard it. (laughs) Okay. What have you heard about the Holy Spirit? Because, frankly, the Holy Spirit gets talked about a lot in a lot of different churches, and it gets talked about a whole lot of different ways in all those different churches. What have you heard about the Holy Spirit? You just said you had (laughs) heard. Powerful. The one thing that unites all the different churches as they talk about the Holy Spirit is the element of power. I don't know of any major Christian doctrines on the Holy Spirit that don't talk about His power. Which is why we're talking about it this week too. What else have you heard about the Holy Spirit? Comforter. Yes. Anything else? Teacher. Teacher. Say, I get a follower. Okay. I, I don't know about that one. <laughs> How many I, seems like, uh, gosh, where do I want to start this conversation? See, I wasn't taught a whole lot about the Holy Spirit. You know, I grew up in a church of Christ and I love, just for the record, I love my church of Christ roots. I wouldn't be here if it hadn't been for those people. Were they perfect? Well, no. We aren't perfect either. But in my small church, and I found that this has been kind of common, we didn't talk about the Holy Spirit a whole lot. And it seems like, depending on what experience you've got in church, you might not have talked about Him much like my heritage did in my small church. Or it might have been all your church talked about. You've seen that? And there are different thoughts about the Holy Spirit and what His power is all about. And frankly, some of the folks that are way over here on this end of the spectrum, and it seems like all they want to talk about is the Holy Spirit, it seems like the things they're talking about really are more embarrassing than anything. You know, they're they're barking like dogs. I I was sitting one time with a a buddy of mine, and we were just watching TV. Actually, we we were talking, and the TV was on. That morning, I happened to have on a religious program. And I don't even know what we were talking about. It's just like all of a sudden, both of us stopped and looked at the television at the same time. And this church service was going on. And people were barking like dogs. They were laughing uncontrollably for no reason. They were getting up and jumping over pews. They were doing all kinds of stuff. And they were saying that this was the Holy Spirit. That sounds a little bit more like demon possession to me than it does the Holy Spirit. But have you heard people say, hey, whenever you get the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll do some really freaky, fruity things over here. Have you heard people make that claim? So am I. And I think what happened is there was such a fear in my little church that I grew up in that we would go that direction that they neglected to talk about Him much at all. And so, is it any different here? Well, I know we've talked about the Holy Spirit more here than what I experienced, but yet I don't know that we've talked about Him enough to really understand Him and to really take hold and to experience this empowered life that I think God has for us. Uh, in, in researching this and studying a little bit I came across the Fan- Francis Chan video on the Holy Spirit you guys familiar with Francis Chan? he's pretty good I wish he was here today to talk to you because he's a whole lot better at this than me but he talked about a couple in his church this guy apparently set one of his members set a world's record for the bench press he bench pressed a thousand pounds if any of you guys have bench pressed any, any weight you know a 1,000 pounds is hard to get in your head. He said, this guy is just thick. He's massive. But the really impressive thing he said was, his wife bench-pressed 450. Now, at my best, which was a long time ago, 300 was the most I could ever get up on a bar, which means his wife bench-pressed 150 pounds more than I could ever bench-press. Well, what if that, that couple attended church here? And they walked in, I mean, if they could fit through the door with all that muscle. If they walk in and their kids come behind them, and there are these little bitty scrawny toothpick, arm, leg, little kids going, Hi, want a program? Would you think that that was off? You'd be asking questions, are these adopted? (sighs) Are you feeding them differently? Are you guys like eating all the food and they don't get any? What's going on? It doesn't seem right, does it? And yet when we read about the first century church, there was power. There was power in that church. They did these incredible things through the power of the Holy Spirit. Just to start off with, everything that Jesus did, all of His miracles, He did it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And everything that we read about in the New Testament, in His church, He continued to do through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was the power that changed the world as they knew it. But yet, whenever I look at the church today in macro, not just us, I'm not just trying to be critical of us, but whenever I look at the church generally all over the world right now, it doesn't look the same as what I read about in the first century. Whereas the first century looked more like that, that really strong couple that Francis Chan was talking about. The church today looks like these scrawny kids that don't seem to have a whole lot of power. It seems to me that we're not plugged in in the same way. There might have been something different about the way that they were plugged in and receiving and living and experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. First place to start is the Holy Spirit isn't an it, He's a person. He isn't an it, He's a person. There are some churches, some camps of believers that will teach you that He is exactly an it. He's not personal. He's an it. I've heard him called antimatter, or some kind of like a dust that flies through and, and infiltrates people and all of a sudden electrifies them, almost like a Tesla coil. You seen that before? Well, is that what he is? I don't believe so. I believe that he's a person. He's someone that we need to know and to have a relationship with. Why is it important to start with distinguishing that he is not an it, He is a person? Um, Eli, how well would you be able to relate to me if I considered you an it? Angrily. Angrily. (laughs) Very honest young man. That's right. Husbands, wives, how well would you get along with your spouse if they considered you an it and not a person? How much influence would you have with anybody that considered you an it? Are you beginning to get an idea of why maybe it's really important that we understand that he's a person? Well, okay, I've told you that he's a person, but now I want to try and show it and prove it. Because, again, not everybody agrees. So I want to show you some, uh, some verses here that will hopefully help you decide. First thing I want to show you is that the Holy Spirit has a mind. You realize that only persons have minds, right? Look at Romans eight twenty seven. It says, And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is. Because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. He has a mind. Do you know of any it's, any things that have a mind? In that verse, we're also told that he intercedes for us. You know, we've been praying together on Sunday mornings, and I know it makes some people a little uncomfortable to pray publicly. But you know, where we talk to God, the Holy Spirit is the one who intercedes. It means he goes between us and God. You ever had anybody who could talk to somebody for you on your behalf and say it so much better than you could? You've been there? We have that in the Holy Spirit because He's a Him. Because He's a person. You don't need to worry or be embarrassed about the the quality of your prayers or how well you say them because the Holy Spirit knows what you're trying to say better than you yourself know and He goes to God on your behalf and asks Him in just the right way and speaks it the way that only God could, could say it. So whenever you pray, Don't be self-conscious about it. The Holy Spirit, because He's a person, represents us to God. second thing I'd show you is that the Holy Spirit has an opinion. He has an opinion, which means He has personality. It's and things don't have opinions. Acts 15.28, it's recorded there that it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. It seemed good. Good to the Holy Spirit. That means that the Holy Spirit has an opinion. If he has an opinion, it means he's got a personality. The Holy Spirit communicates, he communicates, which means he wants to be understood. Why do you communicate? You want to be understood, right? 2 Peter one twenty one. Peter said, Prophecy never came by the will of a man. Prophecy never came by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to communicate. He does communicate if we'll allow Him. He does that because He wants to be understood. If I understand Peter here, that in a sense, the whole Bible is the Holy Spirit trying to communicate with us. Trying to talk with us trying to help us understand some things next the Holy Spirit experiences grief he experiences grief which means he has emotion it's things inanimate objects they don't have grief do they Ephesians 430 Paul says do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption you know If someone treated you like an it, would it grieve you? If you showed up at the dinner table, it's your family, and nobody talked about you or to you, nobody even recognized you, would it grieve you? And yet in our assemblies, we come, we take the Lord's Supper, and we commune together with each other and with Him. And sometimes I think we don't even think about the Holy Spirit being involved in this. And we gather in our own homes and we don't think about the Holy Spirit being there. Do you think that maybe grieves him? When we think about our relationship with God, we discount or don't even think about the Holy Spirit. I bet it grieves him. The Holy Spirit can be lied to. Did you realize that? He can be lied to. And by the way, he reacts really strongly when you lie to him. How do you react whenever people lie to you? Acts 5, 3. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit can be lied to. You can't lie to an it. The Holy Spirit can be insulted. Have you ever even thought about that, being insulting to the Holy Spirit? You can. You can insult the Holy Spirit, but it's not something you want to do. Hebrews ten twenty nine. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve? who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which He was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace. The Holy Spirit can be insulted. Okay, I, I just showed you a few things. Have I made the case that the Holy Spirit is a person and not an it? I, these impress me that He's a person. And if He's a person... Then he's somebody I need to know. Like I said, nobody seems to debate that the Holy Spirit is the, the source of power for the Christian life. But a lot of people don't want to relate to him as a person. I believe that he is a person. I think I've just given you good reasons that you should believe it too. But go back and check out those verses for yourself. Read them in context and see if I'm, I'm misrepresenting anything. But I've got one more I want to show you. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's also God. And he's the one who empowers New life. The Holy Spirit is person. He is God. And He's the one who empowers life. It took me a long time to realize that not everybody... What I'm, what I'm referring to here is a doctrine called the doctrine of the Trinity. Or the Godhood. Godhead. You might have heard it some of those things. It took me a long time to realize that not every Christian believed that. That God is three and yet one. If I could explain it to you simply, I certainly would. I've seen a lot of really good and, and analogies and uh, ways of trying to explain it, but they're not completely satisfying. All I can tell you is that there are some things that I think are beyond our ability to understand fully. And for me, this is one of them. This is one that I'm going to have to take on faith. God says it, so I'm just going to believe it. Somehow, there are three, and yet they are one. How am I going to back that up? Well, Romans 8, verses 9 through 11. Now, as I read this, I want you to kind of follow Paul's logic here as he talks about this. He says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. So he's talking about disciples. But you're in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. So you're in the realm of the Spirit if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Do you think Paul's talking about two separate things? The Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ? He seems to be using those names interchangeably, doesn't he? He goes on he says, But if Christ is in you, Who's in you? The Spirit? Christ? If Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life. If Christ is in you, then the Spirit gives you life. And it's a new life. And it's a powerful life. He gives you life because of righteousness, for the sake of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead... Who raised Jesus from the dead? God. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you... So now so far Paul has talked about Jesus living in you, God living in you, and the spirit living in you. And he seems to use them all interchangeably. Then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies... Because of His Spirit who lives in you. See, I know this is a difficult piece of of language to kind of pull out, but I hope that you'll see this. He is a person. He is God. And He's the one who empowers life. Are you interested in being empowered by the Spirit? Of taking a part, of having, experiencing this powerful life that God has for you. Are you interested? If you are, then the next question is pertinent. How can you plug into this powerful new life that God has for you? Again, we're not talking about the indwelling. We're talking about the Spirit having power. We know, we've talked about this already, you can be a disciple and not be plugged in. In other common language, there's a possibility you can go to heaven but not experience the power of the Spirit in your life. But why would you do that? Why would you not want to experience the power of the new life that comes through knowledge of the Spirit? If you want to, if you want to plug in, the first thing to do is stop looking for a program. Stop looking for a program. What do I mean by that? Well, Christians have a real hard time with this one because... As a breed, we want methods, we want formulas, and we want plans, don't we? Even in our sermons, we usually try to give you like three or four steps that if you do these three or four steps, you can get to the spiritual result. And we do that knowing that there's always a risk that you won't look beyond the steps to the author and the provider of real change, that you'll just try to fit yourself into a checklist. Some married folks, Paul. You're married, right? Yeah. I think she's still staying with you. I don't, I don't know about how long, but for now. She's <laughs> she says for life. I tend to believe her. But now, is your marriage perfect? No, nah, no. Nah. You're involved, so it's not going to be perfect, right? Okay. <laughs> Have you ever gotten marriage advice? Yes, okay. So... There are some things that probably are good advice for every marriage, right? So if I said to Paul, Paul's saying, man, you know, I'm having a hard time. Jenny's really upset with me. She's not real happy. What do I do? Would I be totally wrong to say, well, Paul, you need to talk with her? That's pretty good advice, right? Spouses need to talk with each other. So no one would disagree with that advice. Is that a guarantee that if Paul talks to Jenny, she's going to be happy? Well, why not? He followed the program. Nobody, everybody in this room just said that was good advice. It's a principle of a relationship that he should apply. Why doesn't following that program get Paul out of the doghouse? What's that? It depends on what he says. Yeah, okay, I'll go with that. Yeah, you can probably say things to make things actually worse. Even if I wrote him a script and I said, okay, this is what you need to say. How I love thee, let me count the ways... And Paul, started, you can just see Paul doing this, can't you? Oh, Jenny, how I love thee! Thou art so fair among women. <laughs> why, why wouldn't that work? It's dishonest. You know, Andy, I got to tell you, I think Paul actually feels that way about Jenny. I know them. <laughs> is my words not? Oh, so what we're talking about is following a program doesn't work in a personal relationship. It takes more than. Now, in our in our early service, you know, this started a lot of conversation, great conversation, because making this point, I run the risk of saying that programs have no value. And I'm certainly not trying to say that they have no value. I'm just saying that whenever your objective is to follow a program, that is not the same thing as trying to have a relationship with a person. You get what I'm saying? And see, what we tend to do is, we want to reduce spiritual things into a non-personal method. Because that's easier. It's like, we feel like, well, if I can jump through this hoop, and I can jump through that hoop, and then I pull the chain, then I'll get the prize. And quite often, Christians try. I mean, I think it's like, you ever drive a car with a bad alignment? You let go of the wheel, and boom, it darts to the ditch. I think we Christians can be like this when it comes to programs and methods and this many steps and that many steps. We want to be able to look for a checklist. We do it in our marriages too, don't we? You know, we get this information that, well, men like this. So wives get busy checking off the list and then they wonder why their husbands aren't really responding the way that they should. They couldn't be manipulated the right way. Husbands do the same thing as the wives. And in Christ, I think we try to do the same thing with the Holy Spirit. He's the one who has real power. How many of you guys need real power in your life? Not just religion. You need real power. Why don't you? Do you have a problem, a sin that you just can't get past? Do you have a challenge that's just scaring you? Are you feeling weak, pathetic, like I'm really getting nowhere? You're discouraged then you need to be empowered. But you're not going to get empowered by just trusting a program. Now, again, how do you communicate some of the things that, some of the principles that are involved in a relationship? It could sound very much like steps in a program. I'm not saying that they aren't helpful. You just can't rely on a program. God doesn't work with people through a program because He's a personal being. Any relationship between people is interpersonal dynamic, right? There's interpersonal dynamics. And so there are some things that are good in every marriage and in every relationship. But, you know, it's going to look a little different in your marriage, maybe, than your marriage. Because the people involved are different. And while there are things that that we all need to know and to do in order to relate to God and to have access to plug into the Spirit, we're not all starting at the same place. We're not all the same people. We don't all think alike. We don't all act alike. So if your intention is to try to plug into God, plug into the Spirit, and experience this powerful new life that He has for you by following somebody's program or agenda, you're probably not going to make it. You're probably not going to see the power actually come on. The second thing that you can do is you can start looking for a personal connection So stop looking for a program and start looking for a way to personally connect, for you to connect. The first place that you want to start a personal connection, or where any personal connection with the Holy Spirit is going to begin, it's going to begin with being born again. With being born again. Experiencing true conversion. There are people in churches today, there are probably even people here today that think of themselves as Christians, but they haven't really experienced real conversion. They haven't truly been born again. How does that happen? Well, churches sometimes provide a formula or a program to people. And if they follow that program, then they think that means I'm a Christian. True life story happened here. A few years back, one of our members was talking to a ministry leader in our church. Who was studying with someone to help them to come to faith in Jesus. So this person asked this ministry leader, so how are things going in that study? Oh, they're going great. Well, what are you studying with this person? And the ministry leader said, oh, we're on study number four. Anybody see the problem with that? Program. And how many people have... You know, we've got a set of studies. I think there's about seven in them. We've actually got a couple of different sets of studies. And the idea behind those studies is to help you learn, almost like training wheels on a bicycle, to help you to learn how to communicate the gospel and show people from scripture, but it's not meant to be a script that you give to a salesman in order to show somebody this is what you do. And how many people have stopped looking for the personal connection to the power of the Spirit, whenever they're showing somebody the gospel, and instead have embraced a program? and convince someone to go through the motions and and follow these steps and then they go through them and they think, well, now I'm a Christian. But are they? Did conversion really happen? Conversion is a supernatural thing. You know, getting in the baptistry is only getting wet if the Holy Spirit isn't involved. And in some places, it may make you a member of that church, but I don't know if we're really supposed to be interested in being a member of a church as much as we're supposed to be interested in being a member of the church. And you just don't get through that with a program. Some people experience something. And they think, that makes me a Christian. I had an experience. I've had people say, yes, it felt like I had warm honey just drip and drain all over my body. And every time I hear that, it's not the first time I've heard it, but every time I hear that, I think, how do you know what honey feels like all over But I never ask. I never ask because I don't want to know. <laughs> I mean, that's for your small group, man. That's where you talk about that stuff. <laughs> right after you talk about gossip and not, you know. <laughs> yeah. They, they think they have an experience, so they think that makes them a Christian. And there are churches that will sell you on having an experience so that you can believe that you're a Christian. But is that real conversion? Other people say, well, I'm a Christian because I've done what the church has asked me to do, and I say that I believe the things that the church thinks I should believe. Does that... I mean, that's a good thing. But is that really conversion? So, real conversion is more than just jumping through some hoops. It's actually total submission to the Lord. It's a lifestyle of obedience. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 6, 46? He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then don't do what I say? How many of you folks refuse to obey Jesus? I'm not talking about weakness. I'm talking about rebellion. But you call yourself a Christian. And it's like you're driving a car. Tim talked about a, a van that he has that's been giving him all kinds of trouble. Tim has these old vans that he tries to keep up, and he's, he's pretty clever about keeping them running. But this one, it, it, what did he call it? Limp. Mode, I guess with some of these vans, if the transmission isn't working right, you aren't going to get any power. You get first and second gear. Is that right, Chris? Technically, it's kind of like that. Okay. Well, Tim was just talking about, man, it took forever to get anywhere because there was just no power. He wasn't plugged into the power the right way. And he could tell that something was wrong because it was taking forever to get anywhere. And you've got to wonder about the next hill if you're going to actually make it up it. And how many of you that defines... We could be saying that about your spiritual life. You wonder if you're going to make it. You wonder if you're going to be able to get up the next hill, the next challenge that comes along. You know something isn't right. This is not the empowered life that we read about in the Bible. If that's you this morning, the first place to start is to check your conversion. Were you really born again? Or do you say, I'm a Christian but I'm not going to do that. Jesus said do it, but I don't really have to do that. If you're there, I'm not sure you converted. Again, I'm not saying I have a hard time doing this. I know I'm I'm trying to do this, but I fail. That's weakness. We all have that, right? But if you're saying no to him as Lord, Lord means owner. It's the Greek word kyrios. The the closest way we use it in our society is landlord. Got any landlords out here? Okay, who lives in the the house that you own? Not you, somebody else. But who has the right to do with that house whatever you want to do? Dan, I know you own a few rental properties, right? Notwithstanding legal issues with the government, you could burn it down if you wanted, right? Okay, stay with me. (laughs) But you get to choose who lives in it. And if they wanted to do something with the house that you don't want done with the house, you get to say no. And you get to say yes because you own it. If you're a Christian, if you've been converted, if you've experienced real conversion, then you understand Jesus is the Lord of you. Not only is the Lord of you, he's the Lord of heaven and earth and everything, but that includes you. Which means you live in one of two places today. You either live in submission to his lordship or you live in rebellion to his lordship. And you can call yourself a Christian and be over here in this camp. Being living in in rebellion. If you're lacking power, if you're in limp mode as a Christian, first check your conversion. Make sure that you really signed up for the real deal that this is about total surrender to Jesus as Lord. Second thing about your making sure you have a, a personal connection is knowing that your personal connection will grow only by walking in step with Him. If you're a disciple, if the Holy Spirit is living in you, you really have converted, but you have no power in your life. If you wonder, am I going to make it? If it doesn't look any different than it did before you were a Christian... If you don't seem to have that power, you may look at this one about growing and walking in step with him. You'll find it referred to over in Galatians 5, 16 through 25. And that honestly is where I'm going to stop this lesson today because there's a whole lot we can talk about there. In fact, that's our, that's our intention. Today what I want to persuade you to do is to understand that there is real power involved in the Christian life. That that power is not personal power of mine. It comes from the Holy Spirit. But for me to have that power in my life and to experience this new life that he's got for us, I have to be plugged in. And it starts by understanding that he's a person and I'm not going to get there through a formula or a program. I'm going to have to personally connect with him, which means I'm going to have to relate to him. And you can't relate to him if you're not his. God isn't going to put His Spirit or His power in something that He doesn't own, that He doesn't control. Something that isn't going to work for Him. So you need to look at your conversion. And secondly, you need to make a determination that you're going to walk in step with the Spirit. That He's truly going to be the Lord. You with me? And the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to look at some specific things. So next week, I'm going to be talking to you about the difference between gifts of the Spirit and fruit of the Spirit. And try to explain that as best I possibly can. On the, on the docket to talk about is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. A lot of people we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. And yet there's a lot, of, a lot of different ideas about what that means. And then I'm going to hand it over to Gary. And Gary's going to talk about even some more specific ways that we can have this empowerment that God has for us. And I hope that you'll come back for it. I hope that you'll be very interested in this. Because it stinks whenever you feel like you have no power. When you feel like you're just trudging along. you got your pedal all the way down and you're just crawling. That's not how we're intended to live. And you don't have to. You can experience this. So here's the challenge I want to leave you with today. First, examine your conversion. Don't just say, okay, I'm I'm a Christian. I did everything I was supposed to do. So bingo, bango, there I am. Look at it. Did you really surrender to Jesus? Did you really experience conversion? The second thing I'd ask you to do or challenge you to do is to pray with somebody. Again, if the Holy Spirit is a person, like we just, did I make the case that the Holy Spirit's a person? I thought I did. Um, Maybe you ought to talk to Him. Maybe you ought to commune with Him and ask Him to do some things. If He's a real person, you can do that. Why don't you ask Him to show you what he wants you to do to be plugged in and how you can experience this life that I'm talking about the life that you read about in the New Testament why don't you spend some time in fact I, I challenge you to do this there's got to be more than one or two of you out here that want this why not get together with somebody else who wants it and ask the Holy Spirit to show you and to lead you if you're serious about it I don't think I'm asking you to do too much that's my challenge for you between now and next week so with that I'm going to wrap up this lesson for this morning if you would let's, let's bow and pray let's talk to God let's go on this journey together and seek his empowerment if you would bow with me Heavenly Father there is so much to learn about you uh, you know I've been married to my wife for 25 years now and I'm still finding new things that are amazing about her how much more so is it whenever we talk about you and as we we come to know somebody, it's hard to just quickly uh, talk about them and explain them to somebody else and do them any real justice. And as we talk about you and we talk about your spirit, it's the same kind of a challenge. Um, There is so much to you that I don't think any preacher in the world is going to be able to sit up here in the span of 30 or 40 minutes and make it all make sense. I don't know if any of us really have our arms fully around who you are. Uh, But Father, we, we humbly want to pursue you and to know you. Father, I pray that this lesson will start some serious discussions, that it will get people here thinking. Father, I pray that everybody here can say with confidence that they have experienced conversion. And if they can't say that, I pray that they will just be restless until they can say it. Father, I pray that you'll help us to look beyond the superficial religion of rules and legalism and checklists and move into something a whole lot more personal something that that we can experience. Father, I pray that you will fill us with your power, help us to live that plugged-in life that is a witness to the rest of the world that you're real. Father, we love you, and and we ask these things not so that we can be puffed up or feel good about ourselves, but that you can be lifted up and that you can change the world around us uh, through us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.